Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Welcome to this special episode of Inside Sponsorship, which focuses on rugby union. The topic our guests are discussing is the sponsorship pathway, Are You Sponsorship Ready?, which is a panel discussion at the World Rugby Conference and Exhibition in London this month. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston, and we've produced this special episode to help supplement the panel discussion at the conference, and as such, we've got a a bunch of great guests across a number of podcasts just like this, both prior to the event and post the event. In this episode, we sit down and chat with Sponsor of Managing Director Mark Thompson and Fiona Targ, Global Sponsorship Manager at DHL Express. Following working in the UK for six years in various roles, Fiona Targ first joined DHL in 2005 as Marketing Manager in New Zealand and later moved to Bahrain as Middle East and North Africa Marketing Manager. She then returned to New Zealand to manage the DHL Express Global Sponsorship of Rugby World Cup 2011, and in 2012 she joined the Deutsche Post DHL Group Head Office in Germany as Global Sponsorship Manager, and again had the opportunity to manage DHL's partnership of Rugby World Cup 2015. She currently manages global partnerships for DHL Express, including the Rugby World 7 Series, Manchester United, MotoGP, Cirque du Soleil, Exhibitionism, the Rolling Stones and the Grand Tour, as well as assisting colleagues to activate Formula One, fashion, Formula E and local partnerships. Here's Fiona. Fiona Targ, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. How long have you been the Global Sponsorship Manager at DHL? Well, I've been here in Germany as a Global Sponsorship Manager uh, for about four and a half years now. Now, we know that most weeks in that four and a half years aren't really going to be the same, but how would you say you generally structure your week and what do you try and focus on regularly, including maybe any processes or even standing meetings with teams and rights holders uh, that you use to ensure that you stay on top of everything in that global role? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm I'm a person who loves structure. I'm a Virgo. Um, so, of course, I love to be organized and I'm a, a bit of a perfectionist. So, my week generally is relatively structured, although obviously there's things that come about at the last minute and I have to change um, accordingly. But uh, in general, I mean, I have a big focus around our countries. So, I work with up to 200 countries globally, but probably around 50 or 60 of them that are activating sponsorship in any great way, shape or form. So I'm constantly having conference calls with countries. We might be working through uh, planning activations for certain partnership events, but I'm also involved uh, not only managing the global partnerships, but working with our countries on any local partnerships that they might wish to create or that they're working with and want to leverage better. So I act in a consultancy role with them. So I guess in an average week, I'm probably talking to at least 10 to 15 different countries. Um, I also then run a a number of calls with my agencies. I'm working with a a number of different agencies. We have a global activation agency predominantly, but a number of agencies that all contribute to the way that we activate sponsorship. So I run regular uh, work in progress calls with them particularly with my main agency on a Friday morning. We address all of the deliverables for the week um, just gone and then we plan forward for the week or two ahead. Um, And then in addition to that, I'm often out traveling into different locations, be that uh, countries where we're evaluating or negotiating a particular partnership or regularly into London, uh, where a lot of my partners are based, catching up with the partners face-to-face as much as possible throughout the year, although a lot of uh, our planning is done over the phone. Um, and then often attending various sort of conferences or, or corporate meetings that are happening uh, in different parts of the world. What percentage of DHL's overall marketing budget would you estimate is spent on sponsorship? Um, well, I currently work for DHL Express, which is one of the major business divisions within the group of Deutsche Post DHL. So I can't uh, currently speak on behalf of the entire group, and there are, are different divisions and also our corporate center that work on sponsorship. So we have um, a massive involvement across all parts of our group. But in terms of DHL Express, we put a lot of um, time and effort into sponsorship. We see it as a really core part of our overall marketing approach. 
So it's roughly in the area of sort of 50 to 60 percent of our budget is committed uh, to sponsorship. I guess over the years we've changed um, right across the group. We spend less on media um, above the line than we used to, and we have been investing more and more in sponsorship in the last four to six years or so. In that process of investing in sponsorship over the last five or six years, how proactive are you in going out and identifying rights holders that you think you can work with versus I'm guessing you get a lot of requests for sponsorship come through or through the email or over your desk but how proactive are you in going out yourself and identifying rather than Mm. maybe just sifting through the ones and seeing which might fit? Uh, It it varies on a year-by-year basis, I would say. Uh, When I first came into this role, we were at a a point in um, our partnership planning where we were changing tack, uh, as they say, sort of looking to invest more in sponsorships, seeing that it delivered a lot for our brand. So we were actually looking at, um, at that time, being very proactive, looking at partnerships that could help us broaden our reach and exposure. Um, globally. And so we were quite proactively looking out in the market, looking beyond what we'd been traditionally involved in, in the area of motorsport and football, and looking more into sort of music and arts. Um, So the likes of our Cirque du Soleil sponsorship came about through that process. And more recently, some partnerships with with the Rolling Stones and with uh, the Grand Tour, the presenters of of the, the former Top Gear. So we have been more proactive, I would have said, in the past than we are currently. However, um, I'm always open to a a very good uh, partnership opportunity if it fits with our brand. So we're always keeping an eye on the marketplace, seeing what changes are happening in terms of of major partnerships around the world. Um, And of course, yes, on a daily basis, I receive requests um, for various partnerships around the world on a global, regional or a local level. So I'm looking at those and, and... seeing what might be possible for us, even if we're not currently looking proactively, but what might suit us in the future, uh, depending on our changing objectives. What's that internal process that you go through, the steps that you go through to determine whether a potential sponsorship is the right fit for you, whether you go out and proactively identify it or whether one just comes across your desk and you think Mm -hmm. that might be a good fit? What are the steps you go through next to see if it is a good fit? Well, there's a number of key criteria for us. I guess um, one of them that is very close to our heart is obviously looking at partnerships from the perspective of how can we showcase what we do. We're we're the world leader in logistics. Um, We move things around the globe, and that's has to be part of our partnerships and our sponsorships um, in what we do. So we're looking first and foremost, is there a logistics opportunity? Does it make sense? Is it an element that needs to be moved on behalf of the event or the team that we're looking to partner with? Um, And we also use that as an opportunity to obviously create some interesting behind-the-scenes content. Um, More and more, we're looking in that direction as a a way of um, helping people to understand what DHL does. So I think everybody around the world knows DHL and generally what we do, but when we can bring it to life through our sponsorships, we've noticed in the past, um, especially through social media, sharing that type of content is really uh, interesting for for the fans and um, often drives a higher engagement level than just sharing, uh, you know, typical sort of news about a particular event um, that you can get anywhere on the web. So that's uh, key for us for sure. And we're definitely looking at the brand fit um, in terms of image. We we have a strong shift as we've become more of a B2C business than ever before because of the boom of e-commerce globally. We've come from a B2B uh, background and we're really wanting to engage with consumers, the end consumers more and more uh, than we have ever in the past. So it's about how do we create um, a more emotional bond between the audiences and with DHL than we have done in the past. So we look at what's available to us with the partnerships that will enable that and create that connection. Um, And then we also obviously looking at the target group, the reach, what's the ongoing sort of business potential rather than just event focused. There's a number of different elements um, in terms of building the business. And then, of course, you know, the engagement not only of fans and customers, whether they're new or existing customers, but also uh, we love to look at how we can 
um, engage our staff internally. We're a massive company worldwide um, with hundreds of thousands of staff and partnerships have been a great way to create these brand ambassadors for us internationally. Is there anything else you find particularly attractive in sponsoring sports and maybe rugby specifically? Well, I think in general, you know, everybody knows that sport is is one of the most engaging um, elements worldwide and has the most global reach. I mean, the reasons why we do partnerships such as with Formula One or with Manchester United is because we know that there's a huge audience globally for that. And being the world's most international company, it's a really great fit for us. We go, we stretch into every corner of the world and, and so do many of these sports. So it's a great chance for us to reach um, a, a massive audience globally. We know that sport also encourages or, or has a following of extremely passionate fans. Um, and we want to be create the emotional bond with our with those fans through um, that passion engaging that fa- passion and supporting the fans to um, enhance their experience on the ground at the events or, or through the the broadcast that they're watching sports so that's a great uh, point for us as well it enables us to touch into communities that we might not otherwise um, reach from a business perspective so that's very attractive as well and I think sports sponsorship enables us a number of different brand opportunities delivers lots of great experiences so on a whole sports is is very important to us but as I said before we also uh, looked at expanding our portfolio into a broader area including things like music and arts as well. Regardless of what area you are looking at sponsoring a rights holder in what benefits or inventory are usually most attractive to you and what objectives are they generally trying to help achieve is there anything over and above the objectives that you've mentioned already yeah i think um the areas that we're most looking for these days are where we can create some sort of uniqueness i think um you know there's so many brands and and properties out there now attracting attracting so many sponsors from different parts of the world. And there's a lot of clutter out there. So we look at where we can create a sort of unique area of ownership um, and unique access. So when we're looking and discussing with the rights holder as as to the benefits, you know, gone are the days of that kind of stock standard list that you rock up with. It's very much about looking at what gives us the unique access, unique content, an area of ownership that fits with our brand. So does it have some element of of delivery around it, whether it's logistics related or not, but is there something that we can own as a brand um, that sets us apart from the rest of the sponsorship family and how does it fit with our messaging and our campaigning that we come up with? Um, Of course, we're looking at things also like special experiences that we can reward our customers and our our staff with. We're looking at the brand opportunities in terms of the the brand reach and the aware, just simply creating the awareness around the property. but and also additional sort of events or on the ground activation opportunities as well. So of course the standard things like tickets and hospitality they're all well and good as well. But I would say more and more these days, especially as we're targeting the end consumers and and looking to create that emotional bond, we're building campaigns that are much more fan oriented, looking to enhance their experience of the overall event. And anything that contributes to that is is important to us. This question might be more uh, targeted at those sponsorship proposals that are stock standard lists that come through your desk or your email uh, unsolicited. When you look at those, are there benefits that you see in the list that you just think, why do these people think we would even want to use this? These Those benefits that just get continually positioned that simply aren't valuable to a company like DHL. Um, it's, that's a tough question, to be honest, because I think there's no benefit that I've come across that doesn't have some element of value. I guess it depends on what are our objectives at the time and what sort of weighting would we give certain benefits over others. Um, so there's nothing that immediately comes to mind that I would say a definite no to. I think there's always, if there's flexibility in terms of those assets and how we might use them, um, there's always a discussion to be had. 
But I would say there are certain things uh, or a couple of things that come to mind that are less interesting to us. Um, I think any events that carry a very high cost of hospitality uh, is becoming more and more difficult for us to activate. So um, if, as everybody who works in sponsorship and many brands are, are finding a challenge at the moment, um, compliance is, is a major issue. Uh, we're, we're having customers finding it difficult to accept invitations of, of extremely high value. Um, so you can imagine for the likes of some of the partnerships that we do, there's a, a very, very high-end hospitality cost. Um, so we look at, at how we can actually adapt that um, maybe a different style of hospitality. We're a much more an informal hosting company, I guess, than the very high-end hospitality anyway. So we always look at how we can try and convert that into other ticketing or hospitality assets that might be of, of more interest. Um, and I think generally... You know, that, that standard list that we usually receive will, you know, have a number of tickets per event, for example. So 50 uh, VIP and 100 grandstand or something along those lines. I think we're looking for a lot more flexibility in general. So um, in my mind, in, in future partnerships and, and partnerships we're currently negotiating or renegotiating, it's about what, what sort of flexibility can be built in event by event, as opposed to saying every match or every every race you get this standard number of tickets. Um, so I think it's it's not exactly that there are benefits we would say no to. It's just about how do we uh, reposition them or change them accordingly to suit our needs. You spoke about how they would need to be seen to fit in with your objectives. How closely are the objectives that the sponsorships that you have aligned with DHL's overall marketing objectives? Is it a case of... Uh, Fiona, here are the objectives of the company. You're clearly well-versed in them. Make sure that the sponsorships are aligned or is it tracked really, really closely? I think it's it's a definite fit between the two. I mean, as I mentioned, sponsorship is a massive part of our overall marketing approach these days. Um, so very much the objectives are aligned. I think in broad sense, going back to a couple of things that I have mentioned, um, our approach in terms of the brand overall and working with our corporate team at Deutsche Post DHL, it's very much about creating a greater connection to the DHL brand. So everything we've been doing in marketing in the most recent years has been about positioning us to become more of an approachable brand and move customers from a position of, uh, or, or general people and in, in around the globe, from a position of, I know DHL, to I like DHL, I want to work with DHL, I want to use DHL. So very much um, sponsorship plays a massive role in that, as I mentioned before, to help create that emotional connection, but also everything else that we're doing in marketing um, in general is is moving more and more towards that, that uh, approach of, of creating the emotional connection. And then secondly, um, again, I alluded to the fact that we are now a very much B2C company as well as B2B. So again, you know, working uh, with the marketing uh, team broad, more broadly, it's about how do we reach out to those end consumers, to the small and medium enterprises, as to opposed in the past where we've been very much focused about the, the you know, big companies globally and working with them internationally. So it fits very much with those two. And I think then also overall with our overall group sort of vision of, of connecting people and improving their lives. I mean, sponsorship fits very naturally within that. We're helping to connect fans around the world, especially through social and digital media, and improve their experience and, and their interaction with a, with a sport or, or other sort of property. How do you or do you set specific goals around the objectives and even the activations of specific benefits like hospitality or precinct activations? Do you actually go and set specific goals around those to ensure that you're getting the most out of the partnership or is it more of a general sense that it's working? No, absolutely we do. Um, in my years in, in global sponsorship and even prior to that, um, it, it was very, I became very aware very soon on that you cannot align one partnership next to the other. So while we try to create an overall or we do create an overall positioning for our global partnership uh, portfolio and try to measure um, at a top line, 
it is very difficult. Each each partnership has its own, you know, I take the objectives of things like brand fit, the engagement, um, the logistics opportunity, the employee engagement. But then we look at every partnership individually and say, okay, this one we know is more about the sort of above the line reach and the engagement on a mass global audience level. Whereas this partnership might be more used for that really um, unique uh, touch points with customers, with employees, engaging them on a one-to-one sort of level. So as a result, um, we do spend a lot of time just, you know, sitting down on an annual basis and revisiting it throughout the year to work out which objectives are more priorities for different partnerships and then work through what we intend to do to achieve uh, those objectives and uh, develop certain measures around that, be they qualitative or quantitative. So, and I'm very much a proponent of revisiting that uh, during the, the the duration of the event or the year or whatever sort of time period is set for ourselves, is to keep going back and throwing stones at what we are doing and saying, is this achieving what we intended to set out to achieve and keeping uh, a certain amount of flexibility so we can change course or change direction if we need to. The objectives and the goals, just setting them semi to the side, how important is a, a longer relationship with a rights holder versus one that's shorter for you guys? I think long-term relationships are uh, crucial, uh, to be honest. I mean, it takes a while for a partnership to get up and running. Um, we normally say six to 12 months to sort of really bed in and feel a good, you know, close relationship to understand how the the rights holder and us as the sponsor work and how we can work together. I think um, it's very important in terms of building trust, um, building a, a collaborative approach. So it's all about what's the mutual added benefit for both the rights holder and for us as a brand. And that only comes with time. It takes quite a, lo- a long time for that to roll out. Even some of our longer term partnerships now, we're still sort of learning about each other and how we can work together um, more proactively. So long-term relationships and those long-term goals, but at the same time, as I say, always testing what we are doing on a regular basis. It's important because I think with long-term relationships on both our side and also the rights holder side, you ha- can fall into that that um, hole of becoming a bit complacent um, and feeling you know, that maybe we're, you know, we're, we're in a good space, just keep it ticking over. I think we have to constantly challenge each other as a partnership to come up with with bigger and better and greater things uh, together that will be of mutually added benefit. Just taking a little step backwards and, and revisiting the objectives at the start of talking about and engaging in a sponsorship, is it a really formal process that you go through with a rights holder to map out the objectives and make it really clear to them? Or is it more of an, an, an organic person-to-person chat and get-to-know-you type approach? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, right at the beginning of a partnership, it's it's we're a quite complex organisation. We're, we're a huge organisation. We have lots of parts to our business. You know, I'm in one division of DHL Express, but we very much work, everyone within our company works under the umbrella of DHL. So that's our, our main focus. And of course, to get to know us means to get to know every part of DHL and where we come from and what we are capable of. So I think at the very beginning, you know, it becomes about really getting to know us as a company. Why do we do sponsorship? Where are we coming from? What's the current sort of environment that we're working within? Um, And what are the sort of overarching main objectives for doing sponsorship and getting comfort with that? But then really getting into the granular level of detail over time to understand where we see this particular property fits into that strategy and how we can work together to to achieve both uh, objectives, right? So I, I like to spend a lot of time up front also getting to know the, the, the rights holder, all of the intricacies of what they're working with, their day-to-day challenges, their day-to-day interests, what they need from a sponsor like ourselves. Obviously, that comes up front and as part of the contra- contract negotiation, of course, and the research that we do as we evaluate a partnership. But then sometimes once you get into that day-to-day relationship, a lot of other elements start, you know, the detail starts to come up and the devil's in the detail, as they say. So I think it's it's a somewhat informal, but as I'm quite a structured person, I like to get a lot of information together and filter it down to what's really necessary for both 
partners to know uh, to be able to move forward and create a mutually um, beneficial relationship. I'm a Virgo as well, so I definitely hear you on that front. Uh, <laughs> what's uh, what's one of your favourite act- activations you've executed yourself at DHL? Why was it your favourite and what were you actually trying to achieve through that activation? That's a really tough question. I often get asked, you know, what's my favourite partnership? And I think asking what's my favourite activation is is probably quite similar, but I, I've done some – honored to be part of many great activations um, but I, I guess you know if I think of one that's rugby oriented one that really comes to mind and and I personally really loved working with was um, when we signed for Rugby World Cup 2015 we came on a little bit earlier than what we did in, in 2011 and working with um, England Rugby as the host and also Land Rover as one of the other worldwide partners um, we, we developed a, a an international trophy tour that took place about a year and a half before the Rugby World Cup took place in England. And this uh, was really created um, to be able to engage uh, audiences around the world, get them to thinking about Rugby World Cup coming up. And it was a mix of countries, 15 countries over the course of the year um, where we took the Rugby World Cup. Uh, Not only sort of real rugby mad nations like Australia and South Africa and Fiji and France, for example, but a lot of new and up and coming uh, rugby nations like Germany, like China and the US. Um, And it was really, uh, you know, we created a fabulous um, kind of mix between the three partners in terms of what we wanted to achieve in each location, touching different audiences in each city that we went to. And then we also had the opportunity for, for Land Rover and ourselves to, to develop our own activation. And we created an activation called DHL um, versus, versus the World, um, DHL Rugby versus the World Challenge. So what we were wanting to do was when we went into countries like Japan, for example, which was first in the trophy tour in May 2014, we wanted to engage an audience that's not at that time really wasn't massively into rugby. Um, so we chose in each country a local sport and we matched it up against rugby. So we had um, a former rugby union uh, player for Wales go up against a sumo wrestler and we set uh, three challenges in each location so there would be a rugby challenge the local sport challenge and then a neutral challenge that either of them had the potential to win and that was really obviously fun and created uh, great social content we had just launched our DHL rugby Facebook and Twitter channels uh, not that long ago so the trophy tour enabled us to build the social audience over time over that year Um, We engaged our customers as part of each trophy visit um, and also our our staff um, and then the general fan base as well. So um, that is probably a favourite in my mind. It really helped us grow our social audience over time and build up towards Rugby World Cup and engage some of those markets that weren't really traditionally, you can imagine a a year and a half out from Rugby World Cup, weren't really that switched on, but including some of our local teams I think our Japan team became our biggest ambassadors for rugby globally after that trophy tour. They they weren't too interested in the beginning and didn't really quite know what this was all about. But after we did the trophy tour visit, they became a massive ambassador uh, for, for rugby in, in the country. And you can see how Japan has uh, really stepped up since Rugby World Cup and, in terms of their interest and, and looking forward to 2019 as well. As somebody who, for want of a better phrase, sits on the other side of the fence and deals with uh, sponsorship managers on the rights holders side all of the time what's one piece of advice that you would give to them to help them be better at dealing with brands like DHL um, I think probably first and foremost and it goes back to touching on something I mentioned before it's about the building of the relationship and building the trust between yourself as a rights holder and the partner you know I guess it's it's moving away from looking at this as a lucrative partnership that's going to deliver maybe cash or value in kind or whatever it might be into you as the rights holder, which is obviously majorly important. But at the end of the day, I've you know the relationships that I have with partners, the ones that really really work and and deliver a massive amount for both us and for our partners, we hope, are the ones which are really built on that that 
long-term relationship, building of trust, and building that sort of uh, vision of of how do we make this work for both of us, Um, and creating the kind of chemistry, and, and, you know, it it means that in the hard times, you know, we reach out and say, hey, we're we're having in a difficult spot, maybe we're having difficulty in terms of budget at the moment, you know, how can you as a rights holder help us still create a a high level of engagement and activation, knowing that at the moment, you know, our budgets are a bit more limited. And then when things start to flow again, fantastic, you know, you've been there for us, we'll help uh, reinvest back into the partnership again. So it's that sort of, you know, being there for each other in the hard times as well as the good times, celebrating together, building the trust together. So I think the one piece of advice I would say is, is don't focus too much on you know, the nitty gritty of all the assets and what has to be delivered and what you want out of the partner. But but establishing that relationship and the chemistry from the get-go is very important. Fantastic piece of advice and overall a, a, a really insightful discussion there. Fiona Targ, if people want to get in contact with you and learn more about DHL and, and sponsorships, how can they do so? Uh, they're welcome to link up with me on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy on that front. And then on in terms of DHL and what we do in sponsorship, if you want to have a look at some of our stories and behind the scenes, you can visit dhl.com forward slash in motion, which is our partnerships platform. Listeners, and we will provide links to those in the show notes. Fiona Targ, thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at DHL. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. Regular listeners of the show will know Mark Thompson well as Sponsor's MD and co-founder. For those new to the show, Mark started his career in the industry as a rugby union player manager before becoming general manager of Warringah Rugby who reside in one of the largest rugby participation bases in the Southern Hemisphere. Mark then became Sponsorship Manager at Brumbies Rugby who participate in the Super Rugby competition where he was responsible for the service delivery, procurement and acquittal of all sponsors who made up a portfolio in excess of $4.5 million. Mark has held various other fundraising, marketing and consulting roles, including at the Australian Sports Foundation, before he co-founded Sponsor, the world's first sponsorship software solution that streamlines and enhances sponsorship servicing and inventory management. Here's Mark. Mark Thompson, welcome to this special World Rugby Podcast Series. Thanks, Daniel. First off, let's set a little bit of context for the listeners. Where do you fit into the the world rugby landscape? <laughs> um, I'd like to say I fit in somewhere, but um, the truth is that I, I other than being a, a massive rugby fan, a former player, coach, um, and administrator within Rugby Union, I, I don't fit in anywhere, really. But um, I am speaking um, and hosting a panel at World Rugby Confex in um, in London on the 15th of this month so it'll be in a couple of days yeah so in a week's time so um you know that's that's where this is sort of born from and and you know the other people on on the podcast will have some more contextual stuff specific to rugby um and you know hopefully what we talk about now will be more um generic but but tailored for a rugby union audience. Because you've got a history of working in administration and sponsorship in rugby, don't you? Yeah, that, mate, that's my background, really. I, I started my career as a rugby union player agent. Um, I was general manager of a semi-professional rugby club, the mighty Warringah Rats in, in Sydney. Uh, played there for six years as well. Um, and moved to Canberra to um, work on the sponsorship department of the Brumby Super Rugby team. So... Um, Rugby union runs thick through my blood. It's my preferred sport. Uh, the Brumbies, the Wallabies, the Rats um, are, are all my my teams. Um, and, you know, hopefully Sponsurve can, can help the rugby union market to, to punch it above its weight in the sponsorship landscape. So on that point, if, if you're in the rugby landscape, you're a rights holder, you're probably already operating in the sponsorship marketplace, but you probably know you need to maybe do a little bit better maybe improve yeah you're probably going to look internally at some of those things that you can improve on before you maybe do a bit more of a concerted push out to the market what should some of the key things be that a rights holder should consider before entering into that sponsorship marketplace i'll I'll wind it back just a step before that as well is is given the new um, developments around world rugby with the emergence of um you know the professional women's circuit 
um, the Olympic Games, there are many more nations now which are taking rugby seriously. I mean, we've seen China just receive a $100 million investment in rugby union. Um, you know, one would think that that is specifically targeted at winning gold medals, but that's going to be enormous for the game. Um, and so there's a whole bunch of smaller rights holders now all around the world which are going to need to enter the sponsorship mar- marketplace because they're going to have teams that have value, but they're also going to have costs. So they, anyone that has costs needs to move into a commercial sort of structure. And, and that's sort of where this is targeted at, is, is not so much those at the top end of the tree, but you know they can always do better, but more those emerging nations and stuff and how they can become competitive on the world stage in, in sponsorship. So... You know, the, the key things that a rights holder needs to consider before entering the sponsorship mar- marketplace is, you know, what is their unique selling proposition versus other competitors in their zone? It might not be other rugby nations. It, it most certainly probably won't be. It'll be other um, sports in their country. It'll be other in their region. And, and some of those will be in regions where rugby isn't a massively popular or dominant sport. Exactly right. So it's really honing in on what their audience is, how they can access it, what their realisation and and, um, passion and loyalty levels of that audience is, how do they communicate with them, how far and wide is their audience spread and what sort of profile their athletes hold within their communities that they can then leverage through a, a valuable sponsorship program. So we get that sorted, we figure out our positioning, what value we can offer people. What expectations should a ride holder have around their sponsorship program and how do they figure out who they should be targeting that at? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So, um, I mean, expectations should be that your your first sponsorship or your first engagement with a, with a company is unlikely to be your largest sponsorship or your largest engagement with that company it, it's it's an organic build it's something that will grow year on year as you grow as a as an organization and, and you you know get a feel for each other figure out what's going to work and things like that gone are the days of here's a package buy it let's move on and then you'll just buy that package over and over again there is so much more sophistication around um sponsorship digital world means that Branding isn't the be-all and end-all, so those with the big TV deals aren't necessarily the ones that have the most to offer these days. It is really, you know, look at esports. Billions of people watch it. They don't have a TV deal. But they are potentially one of the the, uh, most valuable properties on the market now. So it doesn't say, you know, the Philippines Rugby Union, they're, they're a small nation, but they've got a they've got an audience, they've got a profile. And the companies that nations like that and, and any other rugby body should target should be aligned with where where they are positioned in the sort of um, ecosystem that they're operating within. So, you know, if you're if you're a small nation, there's no there's really you're highly unlikely to to grab one of the global giants as a as a sponsor of yours unless they've got a local budget and a local um, you know activation and, and strategy around growing in your area you need to really be aware of what the corporate strategies around sponsors are uh, who's looking to grow in your territory in your region um, who um, has something to gain from being with you and who's on who can you know get something of value out of you at the same sort of level as what you're able to provide them which will which will seem like it is is nice value and a good alignment for them. So values aligning um, and things like that are, are the sort of stuff you've got to pull out. So we temper our expectations a little bit that we won't find a global giant in a smaller regional developing uh, rugby region. Yep. We've looked at some of the key things we need to consider. We've considered values. We want to go and start approaching people. What methods would you suggest are fairly common and, and successful in terms of actually sourcing leads for those people you can go and have an initial meeting with? Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that it offer here. There there are um, you know personal social media, LinkedIn, things like that, which which will help get personal connections. Um, you know, creating some content which is engaging for local audiences to want to start to to engage with you, um, but just because you're a small or an, an up-and-coming nation doesn't mean you can't 
go and engage some like an agency or somebody like that that they will actually help you more than um cost you because people like agencies have experience they've got networks they've got a, a black book which you can tap into it's not magic you've still got to have your value proposition and work hard with them but you know they're the really key relationships to establish early when you're looking on a global stage if you're just looking local if you've got a local event or a local you're a local team or something like that then look within your local area but if you're a national rugby union and you're looking to establish a presence on the global stage to follow your sevens team around the world for example an agency you can't beat we're going to get to a point sooner or later where a sponsor says, if, if we follow the right path of looking at objectives and aligning values and, and using our networks and, and agencies to help get us leads, but sooner or later someone's going to say, okay, well, what can you do for us? It's probably a good idea to have done a little bit of prep in-house mm-hmm. inside, maybe even just in your head to sort of <laughs> line your ducks up a little bit. But what seriously, what preparation can a rights holder do in order to create that meaningful offer for a sponsor the the first thing i would say is don't go in with a preconceived idea of what you're going to give them what you're going to ask for you need to have those conversations with with them you need to see what is valuable to them what their objectives from their marketing plan are why they're interested in in talking to you um, so that you can create an offering for them which is going to deliver value and align with what their objectives are right across the board so you know the, the the line there is aligning the benefits you provide them with the objectives they're seeking to to achieve um, with goals that are mutually achievable as well. You've got to set the right goals around your program because that will enable you to work together collaboratively and build as you go together. Brands get either, as you say, we shouldn't do it, but they still get packages sent across their desk all the time. Some of them get open, some of them go in the bin. Mm Mm-hmm. They get approached all the time from people looking for sponsorship. What does a rights holder really need to do? To, to What can they bring to the table to actually just get that first spark of interest and a hook from a sponsor as opposed to just getting pushed away? Yeah, and, and that again goes back to that whole packaged type offering. It, it just it doesn't, it doesn't create a, a personalised approach. It doesn't endear you to somebody that you know you've put thought into the offering it just feels like you're scattergunning you're you're machine gunning the approach and eventually a bullet will hit right so this sort of question i reckon is is more around doing your research having a look at what other marketing they're doing so if if you're a, a rights holder and you know i'll talk about philippines again and they've got feeler as a as their apparel provider um Right, and and it's they do a lot of um, public marketing through the Volcanoes rugby team. Now, I would hazard a guess to say that prior to them being on board with the Philippine Volcanoes, they did a lot of advertising and a lot of public marketing. You know, TV, radio, billboards, print media, all of that sort of stuff. So then you can come to the table with an offering that's going to augment what they're already doing. You don't want to come to a table which is. With, with an offering that creates more work for them. You want to come to the table with something that's going to give them more impact through what they're currently already doing. You don't want to make it an all proposition, do you? Exactly right. So how can a rights holder create engagement with a potential brand from the outset, uh, from the outset in terms of setting the tone for a long-term relationship? Because we know that long-term relationships are the lifeblood, not the year-to-year contracts. Exactly right. And, and that comes back to um, communication, goal setting, um, and, and setting expectations as well. So having mutual expectations about what each other want from the partnership, need from the partnership, and are able to deliver from the partnership. And creating goals um, which are specific to the assets that you're provo- that you're offering, rather than you know an overall goal of the of the partnership. Because if you have you know an overall goal where you want to achieve you know fifty five percent increase in sales or something like that, then one asset goes wrong, and that could impact that that sort of outcome, right? So if you make it a goal by goal process, you know we would like to see you know, a a 15% open rate on all the um, solar CDMs that we we send from your database. We'd like to see, you know, a a 
90% unsolicited recognition of our brand. We'd like to see, you know, uh, traffic through to our website increase by Y. We want to see, you know, some brand valuation at, at, you know, X. It's all of those things independently then can help you tick off boxes. And what it does is actually gives you the opportunity to go and have a conversation with your partner and say, hey, you know what, Um, you're not getting the traffic through your precinct activity because you know, what you're offering isn't working, how about we switch that out and we give you something else to create more engagement? It helps you actually manoeuvre on the run to save the partnership rather than just have all your eggs in one basket. But it shows effort, at least in commitment and care, rather than, oh, it didn't work and so this sponsorship's probably going to go down the drain. Well, and I, I think what, what, it, what it does show is what the word I just said before, which is partnership. It's not a sponsorship. It's a partnership. And by putting that sort of structure around your relationships with your partners, um, it, it truly is a partnership. Great segue to my next question. What key things can a rights holder and that brand do together then to ensure that the partnership you know, has ongoing success and evolves as it needs to and adjust? What can they do? Yeah, well, from a brand's perspective, um, they need to be you know, honest with what, the, um, what they're looking from, for from a rights holder. So when I say that, in, in simple terms, um, a rights holder is is literally just a extension of the activation, the brand activation arm of the marketing department of the of the brand. So, if the rights holder understands their position within the brand's whole landscape, you know you're a small fish in a big pond there most of the time. Um, you know what your job is. You've got a job to do. You're almost an employee of theirs. So. Um, having that open communication from a brand's point of view, it's just as much their responsibility as it is from the rights holders to understand when priorities and strategies shift so that there can be some conversations and movement around what you offer and how you can stay relevant to their portfolio. And then if you can't offer that to them, if, if somebody comes to you, and I'll give an example, when I was at the Brumbies Super Rugby team, um, computer associates 13 years naming rights partner came to us and said um we're we're pulling our head office out of australia and positioning singapore so we're looking for people that can give us um access across the greater asian market not just throughout australia and and the federal government space in canberra straight away we knew that we weren't the partner for them anymore there was very little chance of holding on to that um deal but they, as soon as that strategy was handed down globally to them, they let us know. It let us do two things. One, it let us have 12 months to go and find a new partner. But two, it also allowed computer associates the right time to actually find their next strategy without you know, trying to hold on to something that wasn't going to provide any value for them with their new corporate strategy. It happens. It's business. Um, but open communication is the key there. Involved in that open communication is going to be discussion around what the key metrics of success are and how it's tracking at any point in time. What are those key metrics that brands should be looking for and so a rights holder should be looking to put together to provide to the brand? What are those key metrics and, and how and, and can we actually measure them? Well, definitely you can measure them. Um, you know, there's some really great measurement tools out there and you know we've seen the recent partnership of Nielsen with Repucom and and that's that provides a whole suite of new um you know tools that are I, I'm not even sure Repucom know the full suite of the Nielsen tools <laughs> themselves but you know Nielsen is, is a, a, a huge company that has got endless amounts of digital and um you know metric sort of measurement tools in there that that I'm interested to see how that comes to the market and then how that raises the bar for everyone else in that space as well. But what what you've got to measure measure is is not just traditionally you just see the branding stuff measured. You know, this is the value of of that logo on that jersey or that fence sign or that TV advert or whatever it was. Um, but that doesn't actually apply to the current day and age where digital is growing and you know players are moving around the world and you know you're able to engage them through expat communities and through consulate dinners and stuff like that when you move around the globe so the the metrics need to be specific to the benefit you're actually activating and that may be just as simple as 
we want 200 people at the dinner where the naming rights partner for, but it's a goal that you've set. You need to measure that goal then, and then you need to report on that goal. So it's a constant evolving process throughout the year. Um, and so brands need to actually spend some time, you know, with a with a bit more strategic approach around their goal setting, around their sponsorship, and then rights holders then have a clear path forward of what they need to do to keep that person happy, but then keeping those communications open. Is it fair to say that the responsibility for the success of the sponsorship starts to move way more in favour of the brand side once you are measuring those key metrics and showing them what you've done? For example, we help get you 200 people to that dinner. It's what the brand does with those 200 people that starts to form more on their side because they could turn those 200 people into $200 million worth of business or they could do absolutely nothing with it except have their brand in front of them. Exactly right. It, and it depends what they want from that. But also it, it is it is exactly as you just said. You can't expect, if, if you're a brand, you can't expect the rights holder to sell for you. Nobody's going to sell your product better than you can. What you're looking for from a brand is opportunities to sell that product to an engaged audience. So if you know, NRMA here in Australia do a great job of, of of communicating with the people they sponsor to say, your job's to bring us the leads, it's our do- our job to close them. We won't, we won't, if you're bringing us good leads, we will never punish you for us not being able to do our job and close them. That's, that's an internal issue and that's the same across the board. And it's the same with all benefits and objectives. The sponsor is, is in partnership because they have the opportunity to access that that then potentially turns into more success for them. Exactly right, and, and we touched on it in our last um, chat around, um, you know, the Olympics and the event-based partnerships as well and and the tailoring the activations for regional markets and for different audiences. It, it, it basically boils down to you're only doing that to make sure you can maximise your impact in those areas. Thanks for joining us. No worries, mate. I trust that you found the discussions with our guests useful. If you'd like to get in contact with either Mark or Fiona, simply head along to Sponserve.net where I've included links to their LinkedIn profiles and their businesses. If you'd like to listen to other special rugby sponsorship-focused episodes or any other inside sponsorship episodes, simply head along to Sponserve.net or search iTunes or Stitcher for Inside Sponsorship. I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. for listening to the show for more episodes blogs and resources head to sponserve.net or search for sponserve on facebook twitter or linkedin